Good morning. Happy Easter. Yesterday on uh, Silent Saturday, uh, Nancy and I were reading a devotion book that we've been reading all of Lent, and uh, it caused me to ponder the lack of hope that Jesus' disciples must have had when they saw his, hang, his head hang on the cross, breathe his final breath, then put, be put away behind a stone, dead and buried. I can't imagine the hopelessness and the despair that they must have felt thinking that their true hope had vanished. This morning as I drove east to Windsor Community Church, I forgot the service was here. No, I didn't. I went there just to spend a few hours by myself. I saw the pink and red and blue hues of the sun rising, and it reminded me of Psalm 30, maybe the psalm that the disciples might have thought of as they were in the midst of despair and discouragement, where the psalmist says, weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Brothers and sisters, it's morning. And we're here to rejoice because we serve a God who lives, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he's interceding for you personally, even now. He is risen. Do you believe it? If you believe that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead, what difference does this reality make? making your life today and for your hope tomorrow. If you believe that he is risen from the dead like I do, I need to ask you the question, as I've asked myself the question is, what difference does it make in my life today and for my hope tomorrow? Today we're going to look at hope. We're going to be reminded of our true and lasting and sure hope that brings rejoicing a rejoicing that comes from rightly placed hope, a rejoicing that can break through all of our trials and all of our sadness. Webster defines hope as a desired outcome, excuse me, a desire accompanied by an expected outcome. Hope, a desired, a desire accompanied by an expected outcome. The way that we use hope is usually distinguished with certainty, that we hope for something and we believe just by hoping that it will come true. We might say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I sure hope it does. We might say that I hope you're feeling better with all the sincerity that we have, or I hope you will whatever, fill in the blank. Over our sabbatical um, in October, November, December, somebody encouraged us to um, write down our desires, our hopes over the next five years for the rest of our life. Just like, just write them down. God already knows what your desires are and your hopes are. Write them down. It was really a freeing exercise to engage with the one who knows us the best and to speak out loud or put on paper things that he already knows that we desire. And we also wrote those down knowing that we have a Father in heaven who gives us good gifts. Do we not? Here's some of the things that we wrote down. Kind of fun. We uh, A cabin in the mountains. Don't know how that's going to come about, but it's a desire. Um, We want to run towards the finish line of life serving the Lord in our giftedness and doing things that we enjoy. In this final 
chapter of life, this final, uh, by the way, I'll just say this. I, there's this app that somebody turned me on to. It's called 4000. I think it's called 4000 or 4K or 4M or something like that, but 4000. And it's kind of a weird app because it's, it's, um, you can put in your birth date, and then it tells you based on the average expectancy of someone born on your date, male or female, how many weeks you have to live. You know what, like I, I got to scroll backwards a long ways, like on some kind of application to get to the year I was born. But looking at that, when I see that, um, I think it's 4,300 4, weeks is how many weeks the, the um, average male has to live in an average life. There's well over 3,000 of those that are in the rearview mirror for me. So one of the things that we wrote down, as I digress, on our desire list is to, is to really spend our life um, leaning into the finish line, sprinting to the finish line in our gifting and in our passion. And I believe God would have, have that for, for all of us. We also wrote down that we want to have intentional time with our favorite people, the people that God has providentially brought into our life. Top of that list is many people in this church, uh, but our family, our three kids, their spouses, and our rotten grandkids. Many of you have good hopes. You have hopes, and they're, and they're good hopes. It's, it's, it is really, uh, there's something redemptive about hoping and having desires. Some of you are uh, hoping that, or at least one of you is hoping to have a rainforest theme for their birthday. Some of you are hoping that you'd be accepted into a certain college, or others of you are hoping that you make a certain team or get a, a certain job. Some of you are hoping that she says yes. Some of you are hoping that he asks me out. Some of us, or at least one of us, is hoping that the Rockies can play better than 500 baseball. That's a false hope. Some may be hoping that the cancer doesn't come back. Others of you may be hoping that your marriage heals. There's some of you in here, some kids, that your hope is that your parents stop fighting. Some of you, as you're aging, are hoping for health in your longevity. Some of us are hoping that our money lasts longer than our time. So again, the hoping for these things is not bad. And they can actually be good. And we can rightly rejoice when our circumstances or the circumstances of those who we are hoping for actually change. When our hopeful expectations are met, it produces a rejoicing in us, does it not? When prayers are answered, there's a rejoicing. When we read the word hope, however, in the Bible, we observe that Christian hope is not just wishful thinking. Christian hope is not, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I hope it happens. That's absolutely not what's meant by Christian hope. Christian hope is founded on the promises of God. 
And hope is lived out. We live hope out when we trust in the promises of God. Christian hope is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised it to come to pass. For the Christian, the the essence of our hope is built upon what Jesus has accomplished through his, his death and resurrection and his promise of an everlasting and glorious inheritance. You see, true Christian hope transcends our circumstances. Let me give you a illustration from an unknown source. A man approached a Little League baseball game one afternoon. He asked the boy in the dugout what the score was. The boy responded, 18 to nothing. We're behind. Boy, said the spectator, I'll bet you're discouraged. Why should I be discouraged, replied the boy. We haven't even got up the bat yet. That's, that would be Christian hope. He, he's actually like, that's, that's, not, that's not good hope. But we can, we can have that kind of hope. No matter how far you be, you feel like you're behind. Or how bad life might be. Or how discouraged you are with what you see in the distance. That the victory's been won. That Jesus is alive. We all hope for something better than we see and we experience in ourselves and in the world around us. We're actually hardwired for hope. Rightly placed hope is the road to rejoicing. Misplaced hope is the road to potential disappointment and despair. The author in Ecclesiastes, I've shared this in the last two sermons, the author in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3 says that God has put eternity into the hearts of humanity. Another way of saying this is that God has put the hope of resurrection into the human heart. Everyone, every human being who has ever lived has a longing to be resurrected from daily brokenness. The daily brokenness inside ourselves and the daily brokenness we see outside of ourselves. The Christian hope is sure. It's living. It's a guaranteed hope that is founded in the reality of an empty tomb. Hope comes from the promises of God rooted in the work of Christ. Believer, I pray that over the next 15, 20 minutes, I pray that the reminder that I'm going to give you from Scripture, the reminder that, that, that all you possess in Christ and the promise of what's to come, I pray that it would elicit, it would stir up a rejoicing in you, a greater rejoicing than you had even when you walked in here. And if you're here today without hope, without Christian hope, that's founded on the empty tomb, that's based on the promises of God, if you are still relying upon your own merit, I pray that the truths that I'm going to speak today would be known and believed by you so that you too can receive a sure inheritance and you can rejoice with a living and lasting hope in Christ. I'm going to be spending the next 15 minutes or so walking through 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-6. through 6. 
And the words, as we go through it, are going to be on the screen, and I've kind of had the, uh, some of the words bolded to just help you know where, where I'm at. Peter starts off, Blessed be, praise be to God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Peter is blessing or praising God because God has rescued him and all Christians from the dead. He's not just praising or blessing any generic God, but God the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Christian God, the one true God. And what's unique about the Christian faith is that it's based on a person, the perfect life of Jesus, the sacrificial death of Jesus, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So he blesses or praises God for causing us to be born again. Jesus said in John chapter 3, responding to Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Here's a newsflash. We were all born. We were born of a woman. We were conceived. We were formed in our mother's womb, made fearfully and wonderfully. And if you're here today, you were born. To be born infers that someone born has died, or to to be reborn infers that someone was born and has died and needs resurrection. When you were born, you were born spiritually dead. From the moment of your physical birth, you were born in need of a rebirth, a spiritual resurrection. No exceptions. And maybe you're even sitting here and go, well, like, he doesn't know my life. Like, when I look at my deeds and the deeds of that other person, my deeds are a lot better. Certainly, God would give favor to me for the life that I've lived. You and I were created in the image of the triune God, the eternal God. And we were created to be with Him, to experience an intimate relationship with Him and to glorify Him forever. But you know the story. The first human beings rebelled against God. And as a result of their rebellion, sin entered the world and it impacted the hearts and lives of every human being. Adam and Eve's sin was imputed, if I might, to every human being. As a result of their sin, all who came after them were in sin. Sin is simply, simply means missing the mark that God set for humanity. It's disobedience to God's good and living commands, good and, giving, uh, good and loving commands. And there's wages or payment for sin. Kids, you know that like in your household, hopefully that when you misbehave, there's consequences to your misbehavior. And your parents are imperfect. But God is a perfect God. He's a holy and just God. And he cannot tolerate or have anything to do with the sinfulness of humanity. So the wages or payment of sin 
All sin, any sin, is death. And this consequence is not only a physical death, but it's worse. It's spiritual death. One who is born spiritually dead is unable to experience and respond to God's love, mercy, and kindness. And there's no future inheritance for those who are spiritually dead. No forgiveness, no relationship, no answered prayers, no everlasting life, no true hope. I'm often wondering that when there's a disaster and non-Christians cry out to God for relief, not relief from their sin, but relief from what they see in the world, there's something good in that, but I often wonder if God even hears the prayer. Spiritual death is simply and horribly a separation from God. We were cut off and separated from God at birth. And our soul died long before our bodies would ever die. But hope was rising. Hope was rising from that moment of the first sin of our ancestors. And God promised at that moment that he would one day recreate his people and welcome them back into his presence. And he would replace our dead, unresponsive hearts of stone with a living, responsive heart of flesh. There was a rebirth on the horizon. We needed a resurrection. We needed to be reborn. As we look at this next section of Scripture, it says, says, by His mercy, how are we reborn? By His mercy and through His resurrection. Even though the just payment from a holy God is spiritual and physical death, this was not the end of the story for humanity. It wasn't the end for them then, and it wasn't, it's not the end for us today. God's plan for his image bearers was to experience his love and presence, and his plan would never be thwarted. The cause of this new birth? His mercy. Not our merit. His mercy. Yes, God is holy and just and must punish any and all sin, but hear this. God is lopsidedly loving and merciful. From the very beginning, there was a spiritual resurrection on the horizon for God's people. God made a promise in Genesis 3.15 that one would come from the line of Eve, from her seed, who would be the serpent crusher, who would come and crush the penalty and the power of sin, and at the same time crush the author of all the evil, Satan himself. The Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2 that we were dead in our sins and trespasses. But he followed it up with the most beautiful words in the Bible. Does anybody know what those are? But God. But you were dead in your sins and trespasses. You had no spiritual heartbeat. You were banished from God's presence, never to experience his love and mercy and kindness. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sins and trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And being lopsidedly merciful, which has not given us what we deserve, 
Even when we're dead and unresponsive, he made us alive together with Christ. He caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. His means for exercising his mercy and causing us the new birth was through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I'll say it again. Even though God is lopsidedly loving and merciful, he is holy and just, and he can't just wink at sin. Justice needed to be paid. In order to exercise his mercy and love, there needed to be a mediator, a perfect, sinless human who would be a substitutionary sacrifice for sinful and imperfect humanity. One who would endure the wages of human sin, my sin and your sin, so that we would never have to pay. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, took on flesh and lived a perfect and sinless life, fully God and fully human. He willingly died on that Calvary cross so that all who trust in his sacrificial death as payment for their sins would be forgiven. Hear me on this. The point of the cross and the point of the resurrection is not forgiveness. The point isn't that we'd be cleansed from our unrighteousness. Yes, that is, that is important. Now I want to talk about that importance. The point, the reason that Jesus condescended, took on flesh, lived the perfect life, uh, willingly went to the cross, and the reason the Father raised him from the dead is so that we can be brought back into a right relationship. It's about reconciliation. It's about being able to enjoy God and glorify Him forever. Let me give you an example, as temporal as it is, when Nancy and I might argue or fight and we seek forgiveness for one another. The, the purpose of forgiveness is just to, so that we can tolerate another day with one another, so that one of us doesn't move out. The point of forgiveness is reconciliation, intimacy, relationship. Jesus died and rose so that in the coming ages, today and forever, we could experience today and tomorrow the fullness of his mercy and love and the immeasurable riches of his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. If Jesus had been, uh, died for our sins and had never been raised, remember Peter says that, that, um, that we've been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If these, Jesus died yet had never been raised, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that our faith is futile, it's worthless, and we're still in our sins. We're not in Christ. There's no hope for reconciliation. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is proof that God accepted Christ's death as an effective substitutionary sacrifice for our sins. So Peter is right in saying that we've been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Without the death, without Jesus' death, and without his resurrection, there's no hope in this life. And there's no hope for life after death. But praise be to God. The resurrection of Jesus has secured a living hope for us today and tomorrow. And I'm going to spend the final six or seven minutes talking about the best part of this passage and the best part of this sermon and the best part of what we're singing about. And it's our inheritance. 
According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's different than what some of you have in your fridge. But our inheritance will never fade. It'll never perish. It'll never fade. And it's being kept for you in heaven who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are born again by our merciful God, the merciful God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've been born into his what? His family. We've been born again into a family. You were born once in the physical body to a family, and you've been born again into a family, the household of God. And being part of the Father's family, He has an inheritance for you. You have been born again, and thus you have received a partial inheritance that I'm going to talk about while we await the fullness of a future inheritance. So we increasingly, we have an increasing biblical hope. We increasingly live with biblical hope when we look back and see our partial inheritance that we received at the new birth, and at the same time, we look forward to our full and forever inheritance. Let me talk a little bit about our partial inheritance. Every human has inherited certain attributes from their birth parents. Scientists call it DNA. I have an adopted sister, a half-sister, that didn't grow up in our household. And when I got to meet her like 10 years ago, this beautiful woman, like she talks and acts and looks and walks like my other four sisters that grew up in the same house. Every human inherits certain attributes from, the, attributes from their birth parents. And we also inherit certain um, attributes and habits, if you will, uh, by the way that our parents that raised us loved us and cared for us and raised us. And we know that every family on this earth is imperfect. And we've all inherited things from our parents that are good and some not so good. But by the mercy of God, through the resurrection of Jesus, we've been born again by the Father of Jesus Christ. And we will be, will be made new and have inherited every... And we've, we have been made new and we've inherited as a result every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Everything that belongs to our older brother Jesus belongs to us. We've been born again into his family. And let me list some of the things. If you know Jesus, if you've been born again, here are some of the, the, the things, the partial inheritance that you've received that will cause us to rejoice. You're sons and daughters. You're no longer enemies, but you're friends. You're no longer clothed in unrighteous robes, but you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You've been saved by grace through faith. We owe nothing. You are his treasured possession. You're not guilty. You might be guilty of the sin, but there's no guilt before the throne of grace. There's no condemnation, Romans 8 1 says, for those who are in Christ Jesus, that your sin will not be held against you. 
God has given you by his spirit the ability to please him. Don't miss this one. You can approach the throne of grace through prayer with confidence. And that your God is always has an ear inclined to you and arms that are open to you. You are sealed with God's spirit. Believer, you possess those things. You've inherited those things. It's a partial inheritance. It's a foretaste of what's to come. Then he goes on in this, today's passage, you who've been born again, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a fullness of a salvation that's coming, a fullness of an inheritance that's coming. We've been saved from the penalty of sin while our position and privilege as beloved members of the household of God are sure forever. But we need a final rescue, don't we? We need a final rescue from the effects of sin. There's a salvation awaiting for you and me, believer, where we will, where we will receive our full and forever inheritance. And without the surety of this final inheritance, if you're living like there is no final inheritance, that this earth and what we have is all there is, you're not going to be able to rejoice in hope the way that we were designed to rejoice in hope. If, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, Paul says, we are of all people most to be pitied. He continues, he, he, in this passage today, he says, not only are you being guarded through faith to receive our inheritance, you're being guarded. Nothing can happen to you. There's your sin, other people's sin. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Not only are you being guarded here for a future inheritance, your inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading is being kept in heaven for you. This is our great hope. And every earthly hope is a signpost. It's a foretaste pointing to our final salvation. Every longing for better health is a longing for our final rescue. I don't think there's going to be rotator cuff surgery or torn biceps in heaven. And every time that I get another injury, let me take that back because that's not true. I want to be in a place that when I get injured, I can certainly lament the injury. God doesn't want us to be robots. But I can live with hope that one day there'll be no more injuries. Every longing for romance is a longing for ultimate romance with Christ. Every desire for intimacy is a desire for Christ. Every taste of joy here is but a foretaste of a greater and more vibrant rejoicing that we'll experience in our final rescue. When you're camping or hiking or observing the sunrise this morning or taking in a sporting event or a theme park, when we taste amazing food or visit an amazing country, Italy, we need to understand that these are signposts of something even better when we receive our full and forever inheritance. When you think about all that is lovely and beautiful in this world, consider it an appetizer of the main dish in heaven. Every good thing in this world is a foretaste of something even better in the world to come. And don't miss this. And every trial, 
Every trial and hard thing in this life creates a longing for something better in the world to come. And here's the two best parts of our final and full inheritance. Number one, there'll be no more sin. Secondly, we'll be in the presence of our good, loving, kind, and merciful Savior. The effects of sin that we experience in this life, the effects of sin in, uh, that, that, that I impose, that I, that I give to other people, my sin, and the sin that, uh, of others will one day be vanished. Listen to this vision that John had in Revelation 21, 3 through 4. This is a picture of heaven. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Christian, you will never die. You will pass through the door of one life to another but you will never die. And those who will never die can never sin since sinners always die. So in heaven, there will be no sin because there will be no death. You see, sin causes mourning and crying and suffering and death. If those will never occur again, then sin can never occur again in the final inheritance, in the final heaven. In other words, the effects of sin, your sin and the sin of other people, will be no more. We will never need to contend with our sin or the sin of others. No more temptation either because Satan will be put away once and forever. And we'll be able to relax in heaven. No skeletons will fall out of our closet and the other shoe will never drop. There will be no more death and no more dying to do. I put this on there for myself that I will never have to contend with myself anymore. Think about myself. You ever think about how often we think about self? Will it just be a passing in the mirror? Or what other people think about us? Did I blow it? Do they respect me? Randy Alcorn said, our greatest deliverance in heaven will be from ourselves. Our deceit corruption, self-righteousness, self-sufficiency, hypocrisy. All will be forever gone. I saved the best for last. The fullness of our inheritance is seeing Jesus face to face. Going to heaven in order to experience all that I just mentioned, where there's no more death, there's no more sin that causes death, no more mourning, no more suffering, no more sickness. But going to heaven in order to experience those good things without being present with God will be like the bride going on a honeymoon without her groom. 
Heaven's greatest miracle will be to approach the throne of grace, not through prayer, but physically, and hear his voice and experience his embrace. Martin Luther said, I'd rather be in hell with Christ than be in heaven without him. We know that a place with Christ cannot be hell. It can only be heaven. We know that without Christ, it's only hell. In heaven, we will perfectly live out the great commandment to love God and love others. So I want to close with this, that every one of us, no matter how young, no matter how old, you're here today, either in your sin or in Christ. No middle ground. If you're here today and you're still trusting in your own merit, your own goodness, your own happiness, to be saved, you are here still dead in your sins and trespasses. And those who are dead, who die dead in their sin and trespasses, will not experience, they'll experience a godless eternity, which is called hell. I want to encourage you, if that's you, that before you long for a life that is imperishable, and you take all the drugs and spend all the time in the gym, to have healthy longevity, which is not a bad thing, that's one of the things I strive for, you must recognize that anything that you might accomplish or acquire in this world is fading away including your own life. Your only hope is to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And here's what Jesus says in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, what does that mean? If I acknowledge that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. If you confess your sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you are here and the Spirit of God is tapping on that door, um, whoever invited you, talk to them. Um, If you're here alone, um, talk to me, one of the other pastors. Children, talk to your parents. Christians, smile at me. We have a living hope. We've been born again to a living hope, to an inheritance In this you can rejoice. Though now for a little while, on this dot, on the line of eternity, you are grieved by various trials. So here it is. Here it is. Here's the the way to find joy, to rejoice on Monday morning. When you step into the week and it doesn't go quite the way that you hoped it would go that you're stepping into unreconciled relationships. You're stepping into a job search. 
You're stepping back into the news that you didn't make the team and he didn't ask you out. Look back. Look back at your partial inheritance of the, that you received at the new birth. And then look forward to your full and final and guaranteed inheritance. We can live with hope, a living hope, because we are alive in Christ today. And we have a future hope that we will one day pass through this, the doorway of this life into another life. Will there be no more sin, no more suffering, no more mourning, but only rejoicing. Brothers and sisters, hope is alive. He rose from the dead. And hope is alive, hope is alive in us because he did rise from the dead. So we should be the most hopeful people on the planet. Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that, Lord Jesus, that you who knew no sin, the eternal God, took on flesh. You were born in the same way that we were born. You spent nine months in a womb. And you were born not into sin because you were fully God, fully man. But you were born into a nature like ours, human nature. And you were tempted in every way that we are tempted. Yet you did not sin. And we thank you that you willingly went to the cross and you took the wages of sin, the payment for our sin that we should have paid. You took it all upon the cross. And you drank the cup of wrath dry so that we would never experience the wrath of God. And we thank you that, that you were raised victoriously from the dead. And that we look back on that and we see that it is the triune God stamping your death as an approved sacrifice for our sin. And we thank you that we are united with Christ. If we know Jesus, we are united with him in your death, your burial, and your resurrection. All that's yours is, is ours. Can't even comprehend that that we possess every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So God, in the midst of the brokenness in this world, still the, the, the sin that remains in our flesh, God, would you help us walk in hope, looking back to our rebirth and looking ahead to the fullness of our forever inheritance. Will there be no more sin and death We'll be, we'll be able to be in the presence of our merciful, loving, and kind God all of our days. We love you, and we praise you. And God's people said,